Well, let's return together to the book of Leviticus this morning. And uh, while you are turning to Leviticus chapter 6, uh, just want to uh, welcome Marianne back with us this morning. It's always good to have Marianne back. Marianne's job and ministry takes her away for long stretches, but it's always a joy to have her worshiping with us once again. Leviticus chapter 6. We're going to pick up with verse 19 as we continue our study through this wonderful book of law. But it is law, which we know, which points us to Jesus Christ. And so we come this morning to verse 19 of Leviticus chapter 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is the offering which Aaron and his sons are to present to the Lord on the day when he is anointed. The tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. It shall be prepared with oil on a griddle. When it is well stirred, you shall bring it. You shall present the grain offering in baked pieces as a soothing aroma to the Lord. The anointed priest, who will be in his place among his sons, shall offer it. By a permanent ordinance, it shall be entirely offered up in smoke to the Lord. So every grain offering of the priest shall be burned entirely. It shall not be eaten. Father, as we turn once more to a portion of your word with which most of us would not be all that familiar. We pray, Father, you would nonetheless give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And in this, Father, show us Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we've just read, the passage we're looking at this morning here in Leviticus contains instructions about a grain offering, which is what we spoke about last week, and weeks before that, when we were in Leviticus chapter 2. But there are differences, because this is not the same grain offering we've been looking at. This is a different offering entirely. This is an offering that is in regard to only the priests. It is an offering given by priests for priests. And it zeroes in on a specific and very unique aspect of offering that we have not yet seen. You'll remember what we've been saying about these offerings as they are set forth for us here in the book of Leviticus. That is that the descriptions of these offerings are set before us twice being portrayed from two different perspectives. First, each offering is set forth from the perspective of the worshiper, who is offering the sacrifice. And then, as we have been seeing here in chapter 6, each offering is described a second time, this time describing the procedures and the responsibilities of the priests 
who are to officiate over the offering of the worshiper. Now what is unique about this passage this morning is that it addresses an offering which has not previously been addressed. We'll come back to that in a few moments. For now, let me set a few things before you that I want you to see here in this passage. This offering, this sacrifice, shows us, first of all, the consecration of the priest to the service of the Lord, and by extension, it reminds us of our own consecration to the Lord. And we'll talk about how the priesthood of the Old Covenant connects with us here in the New Covenant. The second thing I want you to see is that in this sacrifice, we again have an example of how the Lord wants to picture His acceptance of His people. The Lord wants to assure us that we are His. And that we are accepted by Him when we have approached Him on the terms which He has set forth. And so this passage not only speaks of consecration, but also of acceptance and assurance. That's going to be the second thing that I want us to look at this morning. And then finally, the third thing is this. This passage also teaches us about the reconciliation which is necessary in order for this consecration to take place. A reconciliation is necessary before we can commune with God. This passage reminds us that there is forgiveness which must be sought and bestowed before we are fit to be consecrated into the Lord's service and to enjoy fellowship and communion with Him. We'll give the leftovers to the Lord. They were abusing their position. They were abusing their status for their own purposes and their own well-being. And we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that it was a grievous thing in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord brought judgment against Eli and his sons and the whole of Israel for the kinds of abuses that were taking place in the priestly office. And this sacrifice, being perpetually given as it was to be given twice daily, morning and evening, was intended to remind the priests that they had indeed been consecrated and that they had been dedicated to serve the Lord and His people. This offering of the priest's portion, holy to the Lord, reminds us that no one offering a sacrifice on his own behalf can share in that offering. When the priests were serving as Mediators, and when they were receiving the offerings of the people, it was appropriate that they share a portion of that offering to assure the people that God had accepted those offerings. So when the people bring a sacrifice, 
the priests share in it. And as you'll remember from previous passages we've looked at, they would go out into the courtyard, they would eat it publicly in front of the people, so that as the people saw them eating that portion of the sacrifice, they could be assured that God had received and accepted their, that sacrifice. When the priests are serving as mediators and receiving the offerings of the people, it was good and right and appropriate that they share a portion of that offering. But when they themselves are the ones bringing the offering on their own behalf, they are not to partake of any portion of that offering. It is only to be given to the Lord. After all, what is another name for an offering? It's a sacrifice. It's not much of a sacrifice if after you give it, you take some of it back. So the priest could benefit only from services undertaken on behalf of other Israelites. And you'll remember, they, God had arranged for this because the Levitical tribe did not get their own inheritance of the land. They were scattered throughout the land to minister to the people, and so they had to be provided for in different ways. And so the fundamental command of our passage is that the priests are not to eat of their own offerings. That very command reminds the priests that they serve not for themselves, like Eli's sons did, but for the glory of God and for the benefit of God's people. And they are to be, therefore, consecrated to the Lord's service. Now this offering, interestingly enough, is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of years later after its appointment by Moses here in Leviticus 6. It's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. And before we're done this morning, I want to take you to that passage where it's mentioned in Hebrews. Now, as we've read, the high priest is to bring to the Lord a small amount of baked grain, four pints worth. It's not the largest sacrifice. It's not the smallest sacrifice. It's the same amount, by the way, the same amount of manna gathered by the people daily in the wilderness. It's also the same amount of grain that was to be offered when the people brought a grain offering to the Lord. And one wonders whether even the amount is intended to remind the people of God that He supplies our daily bread. And that we are giving back to Him what He has so faithfully supplied to us. It's what we do with our own offerings. It's what we do with our own gifts. We come into this place, we've changed that since COVID. We started not taking an offering per se with people with offering plates, but we put a box in the back and we're still doing that at least for a little while. Maybe come September we'll change that and get back to the way we used to do it. But this is a part of worship and we come and we, we give our offerings to the Lord no matter how we do it. 
but we're giving something back to the Lord who has provided for us everything that we have. It is a recognition of what God has done for us. God could, if he so chose, have an automatic deposit system. Every week, yeah, we'll find what we need in our bank accounts. God could do that if he wanted to, but he chooses to provide through his people as he provides for his people. And so as the priests come with these grain offerings, that's what they're doing as well. But ultimately, this offering of grain is designed to show this status and the separateness of the priesthood. Priests are not like everybody else. They hold a special status. They are separate from the rest of the nation. And the offering functions to locate them in their unique priestly service before the Lord. The daily grain offering is a ritual that functions to mark out and recognize and maintain the office of the anointed priesthood and to remind the priests that they are different. They are unique. They are consecrated to the Lord in a way which the rest of the nation is not. Now you'll notice too in this offering how the consecration of the priest is marked out first by this offering of self-devotion. All the grain offerings are offerings in which the one bringing the offering is saying, Lord, this bread is a symbol of myself given to you because you've given everything to me. And all that I have is from your hand. Well, the priests were to do that too, but notice how else they were to do it. They were to do it perpetually. This is a permanent ordinance for the priesthood. As long as there are priests, they are to offer up this sacrifice. And they were to, con they were to do it continually, day after day after day, morning and evening, and they were also, as we've already mentioned, to give it entirely to the Lord. And so their self-dedication to the Lord, their consecration to the Lord, is set forth in this offering by its perpetuity, by its continuity, by its entirety. And so we see something here of the consecration of the priest to the Lord's work. But, as we have been seeing throughout our study in Leviticus. Again and again and again we have seen this. The offerings and the sacrifices which we find under the Old Covenant are mere shadows. They are shadows which point to a greater reality which is revealed under the New Covenant. And the same is true here. Under the Old Covenant, there was a specific class of men who were to be specially consecrated to the Lord. That class, of course, is the Levitical priesthood. In the New Covenant, by virtue of our redemption in Jesus Christ, we have all, each and every one of us, 
who are in Christ, we have been made priests. Collectively are a kingdom of priests, and we are all called to the same self-dedication and consecration to our Lord. Under the new covenant, there is no special group within the community of God's people. That's why I'm a pastor, and Joe is an elder, and neither one of us are a priest. There are no priests in the sense that there are no men who are set apart from God's people. Now, the New Testament does refer to the leaders of the church as shepherds. Who are shepherds? Shepherds are those who are also sheep. And God raises them up out of the sheepfold and gives them a place of responsibility among the people of God, a place of oversight. But that is far different than a priesthood as we understand it. God's people make up the priesthood. All of us are priests if we are in Christ Jesus. It is one of those special and unique privileges of the children of God to be a priest in His kingdom. We are priests because we need no other mediator but Jesus Christ. I don't have to go to some other man in order to come to God. I go directly because He has invited me. He has told me to come boldly before my throne of grace. Amen. You see what the priest was saying when he brought this grain offering. He's saying, Lord, I'm yours. My job is to do your bidding. My job is to bless your people. My job is to help your people. My job is to do the service that you have committed to me. Lord, I am yours. And that is the same thing that each of us say to the Lord. Amen. He has called us to be His. And we now, as we gather together in the local body of Jesus Christ, we are priests. Every one of us who has been transformed, who has been converted, who has been regenerate, who has been born again. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And as such, we are consecrated mm. to the Lord. This grain offering then speaks of consecration, but it speaks of more than that. It also speaks of acceptance and assurance. That is, it speaks of the fact that God has accepted us, and it speaks of the assurance which is ours as a result. Notice what we read in verse 21. It shall be prepared with oil on a griddle. When it is well stirred, you shall bring it. You shall present the grain offering in baked pieces as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now I want you to lock in on that phrase, soothing aroma to the Lord. We've already seen it several times in our study of Leviticus. And we will see it again. In fact, you will see it sprinkled through the rest of the Old Testament. The first time we see it is back in Genesis chapter 8. And we'll go there in just a moment. So hang on to that phrase. But I want you to note another phrase here as well. You see it in verse 23. 
So every grain offering of the priest shall be burned entirely, it shall not be eaten. The grain offering shall be burned entirely. Now, notice two things. One is that the grain offering is burned entirely, entirely consumed by fire. And secondly, it is, as it is being consumed, what is the one bringing the offering going to see? He's going to see the smoke of the offering going up. Come to my house anytime I'm out back <laughs> grilling some food and you will see the same. <laughs> food will be burnt and the smoke will rise. That's what was seen when this was offered. The smoke of that offering then would serve as an assurance to the one making the offering that God has accepted his offering. It has been done properly. And beyond that, we are told, it is also going to be a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now, turn back with me to Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Genesis chapter 8, we'll start with verse 20. And Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and, every burnt, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now that passage is what is referred to as an anthropomorphism. God is spoken of as smelling something. Smelling a soothing aroma of this sacrifice. So anthropomorphism simply means that God is described in human terms. God doesn't have a nose. Just <laughs> clarify that. God is spirit. But he's being spoken of as if he can smell like we smell. Because that's what we know. We know this world. We know who we are. We know what it means to smell something that is soothing to us. And so this is how this is described. And it's expressing graphically that God was pleased to accept Noah's sacrifice. Noah's sacrifice had been deemed acceptable to God. And in his merciful response, God had determined never again to destroy the world with water. 
It is a glorious picture of the efficacy of a sacrifice accepted by God. And so that phrase, a soothing aroma to the Lord, will be repeated in context in Leviticus and Numbers and elsewhere to indicate that God has accepted an offering. Now, why is this important? It's important because when the people of God offered a grain offering and the priests ate a portion of that offering, the people were assured by the priests eating of the offering that the offering itself met the ritual requirements and was accepted by the Lord. But that leaves a problem here with this offering that we're seeing this morning because the priests couldn't eat any of their offerings. So how would they be able to know if the offering was acceptable? Moses is giving them that assurance here in the words of Leviticus 6, when he tells them that as they lift up this offering to God, it will be a soothing aroma to them. So when the people bring their offerings, and the priests offer a part of it, and then they go out into the courtyard and they eat the rest of it, the people see the priests eating the offerings, and that tells them God has accepted the offering, everything was done properly. When a priest brings an offering for himself or for other priests, they can't eat it. So there's a different way of seeing that the offering is being done right. And that is the smoke which rises up, which God then won. This is our God, brothers and sisters. Here he is concerned that the priests themselves will experience assurance of his acceptance as they come with their offerings and dedicate themselves to him. God is concerned about your assurance as well. He is concerned that you know that you have been accepted by him. He is concerned that you rest and trust in his promises as your faith is grounded in the provision of the sacrifice which has been offered by Jesus Christ. God is concerned that you be assured of his acceptance as you come to him through that sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, the one who has been offered up for us the one who is the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the son of the living God, the light to the Gentiles. If you will come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ, then God is concerned that you live in the assurance that he has accepted you. So we have consecration. And we've seen the acceptance and assurance that God desires us to have. But there's one more thing we need to see. And that is that before one can enter into communion with God, one must first be reconciled to God. Look at verse 22. The anointed priest who will be in his place among his sons shall offer it. By permanent ordinance, it shall be entirely offered up in smoke to the Lord. Who is 
coming with the offering. It is the priest. Even when it comes to priests, we're seeing the necessity of reconciliation taking place before one can enter into communion with God. Before he can consecrate himself, before he can dedicate himself to the Lord's service, before he can enter into communion, he needs to be reconciled to God. And the fact that he has a the fact that he is a priest does not change that. See, priests were just as sinful as everybody else. And priests needed forgiveness too. And this daily offering, even by the priests, indicates that priests need forgiveness and restoration in order to enter into communion with God. But this also begs the question, if the priests mediate for the people, who mediates for the priests? Who mediates for the mediators? And the answer to that question isn't given to us in the Old Testament. We can read through the entire Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. You come to the end of Malachi. And you don't have an answer to that question. You come to the end of Malachi. And you're stuck. And if you've been paying attention from Genesis on, you will come to the end of Malachi and say, I feel like I'm left hanging here. The story's not done. This is too open-ended. I need completion here. There's, there's got to be more to this. together in a room and the detective is supposed to go through and tell you why this person didn't do it and this person didn't do it and this person didn't do it until finally it's revealed who the culprit is. And you imagine reading through the entire book and finding out that the last chapter is missing. That's what the Old Testament is. Standing on its own. It doesn't work. It doesn't finish the story. The story finishes with Jesus. The story finishes in the new covenant. Now, I said earlier we were going to look at how Hebrews finishes the story. So come with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, there's only one person who meets that description, and that is Jesus Christ. And we know that because watch where the author of Hebrews goes next. Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. So there's a contrast being drawn between what we're seeing in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 19 through 23, and what we're seeing here in Hebrews chapter 7. A, dis a contrast being drawn between the priests of the Old Covenant and Jesus Christ, the great New Covenant High Priest. Jesus does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. Why? Because Jesus had no sin. Jesus didn't have to offer up sacrifices for sin. He never sinned. Which is an amazing thing. I don't think we really understand that. I often think how his brothers made it through their childhood. Because we all know families like this. Maybe you were a part of a family like this. You know, there's one really good kid in the family. And he just makes everybody else look bad. Can you imagine that really good kid being Jesus? Who is not just really good. He's perfect. Mm. Mm. And then there are his brothers. Just normal. Normal kids. Mm -hmm. Who actually grow up to think their brother is insane. <laughs> what other explanation can there be, really? From a human perspective. But Jesus never did anything wrong in his entire life. He kept the law of God perfectly every moment of his existence. So because he did that, he doesn't need to offer up these daily sacrifices like those high priests. Because, verse 27... He doesn't need to do that. doesn't need to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he, this he did once for all when he offered himself up. Now that's not in reference to his sin. That's in reference to our sin. Mm -hmm. He offered himself up not for his sin, but for our sin. And he only had to do it once because his sacrifice is sufficient. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So the author of Hebrews is pointing to that glorious passage in Psalm 110 where the Lord says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Hmm. Speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. You see the contrast there. 
These Old Testament priests themselves were sinners. They needed forgiveness just as much as anybody else did. Just as much as everybody for whom they mediated did. And therefore, daily they had to go to the Lord in the tabernacle and then in the temple with these offerings of consecration. And they also had to go before the Lord with offerings of sacrifice on behalf of their own sins. And the point the author of Hebrews is making is that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't have to do that. Because He had no sin. And therefore, as opposed to the Levitical priests who perpetually offered these sacrifices... Jesus offered a sacrifice once. Perfect and effectual. That is, the sacrifice of Christ accomplished the purpose for which it was set forth. And that, brothers and sisters, that purpose is our salvation. Yeah. We are saved because Christ in his capacity as high priest, offered the perfect sacrifice, which does not make sin possible, does not make salvation possible, but actually saves. Mm -hmm. We are saved through the shed blood of Christ. Because of this, he is our sympathetic high priest. Because of this, he has drawn near to us. He has lived in our flesh. He knows what it is to be human in his fullness. He knows everything that it means to be essentially human. But he is also perfect. We use the term impeccable. That means that he is sinless. And because he is sinless, he does not have to offer a sacrifice for himself. And so in contrast to these old covenant priests who daily and perpetually offer sacrifices for themselves and then for the people, we have a mediator who mediates for the mediators. We have the real mediator, the true mediator, the perfect mediator, of whom the old covenant mediators were merely shadows and types. And because of this, we can be confident of the reconciliation that we have with God and of the communion that is enjoyed in that reconciliation. Mm. Amen. Because we have a great high priest. Mm. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have the assurance that we've been talking about, you don't know whether you are reconciled to God or not, then I plead with you today. Allow Jesus to be your great high priest. Repent of your sin and trust yourself to Him and Him alone. And He will be your high priest. And that sacrifice which He offered up in His own body and blood on the cross will be applied to you. And you will be covered and washed in the blood of that great high priest mm. who is Himself both priest and sacrifice. And He will receive you. And He will reconcile you to the Father. There is no other way. There is no other priest. There is no other mediator. 
The Apostle Paul says there is one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. There is only one way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because he's the mediator. What's a mediator? A mediator is someone you need to come to before you get to the one who is beyond the mediator. Jesus says, I'm that one, and I'm the only one. Don't listen to the false prophets mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. which we heard about in Lamentations this morning, mm -hmm. telling you that there are many ways to God. There are not. Mm -hmm. There is one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. And king. Amen. Yes. Come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He will be your mediator. And you will find peace in your reconciliation with the Father. Father, we thank you for this great and glorious gospel. Yes. We thank you, Father, for your word, mm -hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, the entirety of your word, thank you, Lord. which sets forth, Father, in both picture and direct teaching these things that we have been speaking of today. We thank pray, you. Father, for anyone who may be here who is not yet reconciled with you through Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would accomplish that. That you would take out hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. Yes. That you would open eyes and ears and minds to understand the truth of the gospel. And that by your grace, Father, you might call those who are now dead mm -hmm. to, life, to life. Do this, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.